Eddie? It was you? You stole the V-252? Eddie, we are Venom. And you are Spider-Man! I think you got the wrong house. I'm not Spider-Man. Useless to deny. We share all the delicious memories. Like when you rejected us! Eddie! Please. I know the V-252. I know what it can do to your mind. Enough! Welcome to another episode of Elo Governor the Podcast. I'm your host, Abdullah, and with me today is... Ben Pronsky. And you might know Ben as the current voice of Venom in, in Marvel Spider-Man. What's up? I usually... It's funny because I, now when I say my name, I do it like a slate. So when people say, what, you know, can can you say your name? And I end up going, Ben Pronsky, which is like how you say things before you start your audition. So it's weird now to just be like, Ben Pronsky. Uh... Yeah. Ben Pronsky, reading for... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the role of Venom. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of Venom, how did how did uh, the acting thing start, and how did you get, how did you land Venom? Uh, how the acting thing start? I was a theater kid growing up in Houston, Texas, and uh, ended up doing a big theater audition for a theater thing, and several different theater directors were there and one guy saw me and I did a couple monologues that had like accents and specific character voices and he was like hey man you gotta meet my buddy over at ADV Films they do a lot of anime and he introduced me and I went in and I auditioned and I didn't know what the hell I was doing and uh uh yeah that was actually my first voiceover gig uh was after that audition uh it was for this anime show called Sayuki uh, and it, it was funny cause like the, I remember the scene that I was auditioning with, it was like this little kid up in a tree and he's throwing peaches down to somebody, uh, at the base of the tree and he's yelling that there's not enough peaches. And, uh, so in the first, my very first, uh, take of this, I just, for some reason, this like Jewish mother voice came out of me and I was like, there's not enough peaches in the tree. I'm like, we gotta get more. Da, da, da. And the director was like, whoa, 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 man. Like stop stop you've never seen an anime before have you and i was like no no i haven't so that was a that was actually my very first voiceover audition i ended up booking the gig but then i started doing local radio uh in houston and uh you know local spots there and then i made the move out to los angeles 16 years ago which is crazy uh and just you know hit the grind uh auditioning and taking classes and uh, trying to network and meet the right people and uh, got with uh, this fantastic agent who was sending me a ton of auditions for games and animation and all kinds of stuff. And uh, 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 Colette Sunderman was the casting director for Marvel Spider-Man and I had a callback for the role and then I got the call that I booked it, which was insane. So pretty cool. And did you... Quite- and- and did you listen to any previous incarnations of Venom, or did you just go in there and, and do your own thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, like I went back, you know, Ben Diskin played Venom in the animated version before this uh, in Spectacular Spider-Man, and he was awesome in it. It was a very different interpretation of the character. It was much more of a, a sort of a human quality. They wanted a little bit more of that, like, creature sound. 
to this version of Venom, a little bit more creepy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I went back and I, you know, when I booked the role, I went back and I, you know, looked at some of the comics to just like refresh my memory about uh, that, you know, this storyline and this character, you know, because there's so many different iterations of the character. So. Well, I mean, I'm glad you said, you know, you, you look back at Ben Diskin's incarnation and not <laughs> Hank Azaria's incarnation. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, for the time, Hank's Hank's version of it was pretty rad, you know. Uh, and it, it's just so different, you know, tonally. Uh, you know, animation cartoons have changed so dramatically over the years. And, you know, Hank's version for what it was at that time, I think, was pretty cool. And Ben's Ben's version was obviously awesome. You know, when I first got it, I, Ben was one of the first people that I contacted just to be like, hey, man, are you cool with this? And he was like, yeah, of course. I mean, he's, he, was already, uh, he was already playing Flash Thompson in this series. Uh, so, you know, he was like, yeah, it's yours now, man. Go for it. So uh, I thought that was cool of him. Um, and, I, and I like your interpretation because it's more monstrous. I mean, because it's not just, okay, just do a deep voice. It's legit, legitimately what a monster would sound like. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it was, it was to play with it and figure out where, you know, where we wanted to go. There is, I tried to add like a, almost like a duality to it. Like there's a, a layer in my vocal cords that has, still has like a human quality while still trying to capture like that, the creature, this hulking creature. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. Those first couple episodes that we did after the, after the two records, I mean, my voice was thrashed. So I had to really sort of figure out the placement and how to breathe right you know like that breath support from your diaphragm and making sure that you're not just going to thrash your vocal cords so uh yeah it's it's different from the time that i fall back to uh these most recent episodes uh it's changed a little bit as far as um you know vocal placement and stuff but it's been cool it's been a really fun process for sure and I just love how you switch from Eddie Brock to Venom and it sounds totally different it's not just okay, it's just Eddie's voice, but deeper, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what they wanted. And I think that the, I'm pretty sure that the writer producers knew that at some point the symbiote was going to detach itself from Eddie, which is part of the reason why they wanted a little bit more of that uh, creature quality to it, because they knew that like the symbiote was going to go off on its own. Uh, so yeah, we, which is why like the Ben Deskin ver version, it was, you know, Eddie Brock was inside the entire time, you know? Uh, so yeah, this is just a different version, man. Um, can I just say, I know it's a it's a weird thing to geek out about, but I just love every time he says Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> Spider Man. Because yeah, I, I was watching, like I was, you know, because I'm sitting here in quarantine, bored one day, and and the and a rerun came with with the the first episode with uh, Eddie as Venom came on. And I just every time I listen to it, I'm like, man, that that dude must sound must sound like he's having the time of his life saying Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely fun. I mean, you know, his his whole purpose, his intention is, you know, this this vengeance. Once he's attached himself to Peter Parker, uh, to Spidey, and realizes his powers, and you know, that's that is Venom's purpose is to evolve and to become more powerful. And so when he finds uh, when he finds Peter, I think he, he thinks that he's found the perfect host, you know, and then when he attaches himself to Eddie Brock, you know, Eddie already has all this, you know, built up 
animosity and frustration. You know, he's been dealt some really, you know, crap hands in his life. And I think that he's just, uh, he's so eternally bitter that I think that the Venom symbiote definitely is like, you know, finds sort of almost like a, a a different type of power with that, you know, um, just pure animosity. And I, and I just love the speech he gives to Parker, you know, before he transforms into Venom. It's just because it's so real and down to earth. It's not, you destroyed my life and I'm going to destroy everything you care about. It, it came from like a real place because he was hurt. Like he was hurt that this kid came in and took his job and livelihood while working his ass off, you know, for years at the Bugle. And and, yeah. and, and Jameson was favoring him over 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 everything that he had worked yeah. for. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I definitely at first I thought it was a little weird that like this grown man is sneaking into the, like a teenager's bedroom and like, you know, you've destroyed my life. Uh, but uh, you know, I feel like it worked. It still works, and I think that you know, you as an actor, you give yourself the backstory of like, you know, the reason that uh, that Eddie Brock is so pissed off at life. You know, and so you give yourself all of that rationalization and, you know, he's just sort of at his breaking point. And once he realizes the power that this symbiote can bring him, I mean, it's just no holds barred after that. So, yeah. And, and I just kind of got sad that they kind of had to write, write uh, Eddie, Eddie uh, off like that. But, you know, eh, you know it happens. <laughs> I mean, you know, we I don't know. I have no idea if he's going to return. Uh you know, it's very possible. Uh, you know, we definitely see him in more recent episodes, uh, and he's still in that sort of stasis uh, when the symbiote breaks out. Um, so he's definitely still alive. So who knows what they could do? And I just love the uh, showdown between uh, Venom and Superior Spider-Man because for the first time ever, like Ock is faced with a with a foe he is completely oblivious how to beat. So he has to like go back to part to Peter and say, "Hey, man, I um." Can't deal with this guy. <laughs> I kind of screwed up here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Need your help. I gotta. T- I gotta say too. Shout out to Scott Menville. I mean, Scott. Uh, Scott is so good and uh, just a pleasure to work with. And that's one of the the coolest aspects of all of this is you know when you when you're in those group ensemble records, you know with with people like uh, Robbie Damon and and Naji and Laura, and Laura Bailey and then the great Fred Tattashore. I mean, it really is like holy shit, you'd pinch yourself because you're, you know, in the presence of these people that you've respected for such a long time. Uh, and, you know, Scott uh, Scott is playing two different characters. Uh, you know, he played Doc Ock, uh, you know, and then he's got this new character uh, for uh, season three, Maximum Venom, which is uh, totally different and equally as interesting. So kind of cool. I mean, I, ju- I just love Scott. I mean, he's, you know, a great Robin, and I don't know if you remember the show Mission Hill he was on back in the day, but he oh, was yeah. great in, in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scott's a great. He's a great guy, so much deserved, uh, much deserved. And I think, yeah, I mean, he did you know a good job with sending off this incarnation of Ock off, you know, into the sunset, as they say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Grady. Grady Scraps is his name in this. Uh, uh, this, this first episode, and I think he's a, a couple more. So, yeah, pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. I mean, it's cool seeing, I mean, um, speaking of, like, Maximum Venom, how did that come about? Like, did they originally have an idea for the third season being Venom-centered, uh, centric, or was it just, you know... 
I don't know. You know, it's it's funny. Like I didn't even know. I had no idea that season three was going to be titled Maximum Venom. And then when I saw like in the press releases that it was like, hey, this is what season three is going to be called. And then after that press release went out, then I started getting emails and phone calls, you know, and they're like, hey, so yeah, this is going to be a huge part of this next season. You know, it seems like people really dig Venom. And so, uh, you know, at least the fan base for this particular show, they love it. So I, I had no idea. Uh, I, I read about it in the trades. Um, so uh, but as far as like the impetus for why they're doing this particular storyline, I think it's fascinating. I think it's a, I think it's a huge part of the comic storyline. And I think that 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 uh, I think it's going to really help the show a lot because it's such an interesting uh, sort of turn of events in the Marvel timeline, you know? And it's kind of interesting to see just like the show go from, okay, we're going to drop the villain of the week formula and just have like an overarching storyline, which I think strengthens the narrative this season. So it's not just, you know, it's not just one-off episodes. It's like an overarching arc, which I think makes the writing much stronger in my opinion. Oh, for sure. And, you know, the fact that they've decided to do uh, six one-hour episodes instead of 22-minute episodes, I think, is a testament to the necessity for that longer-form narrative to really sort of, you know, hit the the importance of that beginning, middle, and end aspect of each of these uh, story beats, you know? Yeah, because you can't, you know, you can't, like, tell this huge story in, like, only 22 minutes, 22-minute, 13-minute episodes, because that's just going to be, like... Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Even though, like, kids nowadays, I man, I gotta say, like, kids nowadays just came out of my mouth. By the way, uh, the, <laughs> I mean, the attention span, you know, is insane now. The the fact that a lot of programming out there is just eleven minute episodes, uh, you know, and and the majority of uh, of you know kids who are between six and twelve, thirteen years old are watching, you know, stuff on YouTube, they're watching short form, uh, content, you know, and that's how, uh, the, the landscape is shifting in such a dramatic way right now. And so, um, I think it's super cool that they've decided to, you know, switch it up and, and go to one hour episodes, six, one hour episodes, um, you know, to try to keep people's interest and to do something new instead of just, Hey, it's the same show, but we're under a different title. Cause we've done yeah. that before. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a ride, man. It's been, it's been such a, such a blast and Marvel's been so cool. You know, they sent me out to the, uh, the New York, New York toy fair a few months ago cause they had the new maximum venom toy line. Uh, and they asked me to go out and, uh, you know, they allowed my family to come with me. And so we got to have like a, a weekend in New York city before the COVID hit the fan. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, they've been really great been great and can i just say it, it it was amazing like at the end of the 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 first episode the first episode uh where spider-man like finally defeats venom he lets out this amazing yell this monstrous <laughs> yell that was just oh my god <laughs> yeah that was that was fun it was very fun uh to play i think that's probably my, um so far as you know there's this this big reveal that there's a grander purpose in uh the venom symbiote um other than just getting vengeance on on peter parker spider-man is is uh you know we we come to find out that there's a much grander purpose and i I think it's uh i think it's cool you know that that shot 
that you know goes up into space and there's all these symbiotes on the uh, a meteor that's hurling towards earth is like oh my god you know i remember seeing the artwork for that before we actually shot it which is rare you don't always get to see storyboards or art of the actual episode but they showed it to me before uh, and i actually got to voice all of the symbiotes in that uh that particular shot which is really fun uh to do so it's exciting and i just love that it ends like that you know sweet dreams kids <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then episode two is dropping this Sunday, the 17th. So, um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Pretty cool. Yeah, and reading from the synopsis, we, we get, we're going to get Groot and Captain Marvel. So, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to keep my lips sealed before I get like a Marvel <laughs> dart in the neck over here. I'm quarantined. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, speaking of quarantine, you know, I, I know that it's like, you know, no one wants to hear doom and gloom, but it's kind of like it's kind of one of those things where at, we're at that point where we can't ignore it anymore. And, and I'm kind of wondering like, how are you holding up with a new normal? You know, every day is a different challenge. I feel like, you know, and I think that it's important uh, as, as artists, as actors, that we recognize the fact that it's okay to, if you're, you know, feeling down in the dumps, uh, but to find outlets that are going to help, you know, really feed your, you know, your positivity, feed your soul, um, you know, but that it's okay. Like if you want to, you know, I had a, I had a really rough couple of days a few weeks ago and I ended up watching like six feet under on HBO, like the last few episodes of that, because it was just like, you know, uh, <laughs> just something that I needed to watch, uh, you know, for that inspiration. But, you know, it's, it's, I've got friends who have kids who are, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old and, you know, they've got lesson plans and they're keeping them occupied you know kids of that age are a little bit more independent and uh you know my son is almost three so we don't really have you know we don't have like uh you know history or you know uh, algebra lessons for him or any of that you know we've got uh we're trying not to just plop them down in front of the in front of the tv for too long so yeah man i mean it's i've basically become like a a, a pillow fort master builder at this point um you know with the kiddo uh so it's it's a you know every day is different and uh i think that's i think it's okay to recognize that in ourselves i think that collectively you know we will get through this i think that we just need to be really smart about the way uh that we sort of reopen things so yeah I mean, because it's ch it changes it, it's changing the business because now everything has to be recorded, you know, via home studios, and like everyone's gonna ru rush off to the nearest supply store and and try to get the newest equipment and and all this stuff to make it sound professional because you are recording for professional shows and they expect professional quality. Yeah, you know, I think it's different for each of the studios and depending on the project. Uh, you know, I I know of people who are staying super busy. I'm staying busy. I've, I'm, I've been really lucky cause I've had at least a few gigs every week, uh, of quarantine so far. Um, you know, but there are studios that are sending out, uh, gear to their actors to make sure that they have, you know, top notch recording space. And, uh, you know, we were kind of chatting before, uh, about, you know, the necessity for soundproofing is so much more important than your actual microphone. Uh, or some of the gear that you have because um, you can have if the nicer your microphone the nicer your you know audio interface or all that stuff is the more that it's going to pick up of the surrounding space so you really need to make sure that everything is soundproof so I know a lot of people 
who are ordering ISO booths or, uh, you know, or even like building their own ISO booths or, you know, re redoing their closet to make sure that they have enough space in there and that it's soundproofed. So it's a, it's a bizarre time right now, but you know, it's crazy because, uh, my fiance actually works for Disney marketing and she's, she is full steam ahead. I mean, Disney marketing is, they've seen a 65% increase in content consumption right now. You know, so there's no question that there's a ton of stuff out there. And, you know, it's kind of all we have, uh, you know, from, you know, from the confines of our homes right now is uh, is media. So, uh, you know, I mean, I know that my my screen time has gone up quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, and you look at like all of the, you know, this uh, research or this surgence of, uh, you know, commercial content that's like in these difficult times, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I've got auditions almost every single day for uh, those types of commercials. So uh, I, I, I'm lucky compared to some of my uh, other voiceover friends because I'm, I've sort of purposely tried to diversify my work as much as possible because I knew that like if I just focus on commercial voiceover, for example, but then you hit a dry spell sometimes in commercial VO or uh, you know I tried not to allocate all of my focus on just one arena of voiceover. Um, with the hope that like if any one area dries up, I still have something else to sort of, you know, occupy my time or, you know, keep, you know, the, the wheels turning. Um, so, and it's been, that's, that was a discussion with my representation early on was like, you know, what do I need to work on so that I can, you know, increase my callback and booking ratio. And, you know, he, Dean Panero is my agent and we had a very honest conversation several years ago. He was like, your, your commercial reads are, are forced. You know, you, you sound like you're putting on a commercial voice. So I, you know, I got private coaching and I took more classes to really sort of like figure out what I needed to be doing to relate to commercial copy. Um, you know, and that's just an example of, you know, what we need to be doing as actors and as artists all the time to make sure that we're, uh, uh, you know, we're prepared, uh, and malleable for whatever, uh, whatever project comes your way, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's no longer, oh, I have a home studio to do, like, auditions. Now it's like, I have a home studio, now I can work. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's just, that's just not always the case. You know, you can't just, like, buy a bunch of gear and expect that it's like, all right, now I can start booking voiceover jabs. You know, no, it's no. Not, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's not really how it works. But, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel really lucky. I mean, I, I've been as I said, I've been in the Los Angeles market for like 16 years, but I've only been making a living as a voice actor for like five, you know? So it was a solid decade of, you know, uh, pounding the pavement, you know, taking the right classes and trying to network and, uh, just a ton of auditions before I started to, you know, book enough work that I could quit my, my side jobs, you know, the Uber driving and the bartending and the, you know, all of those side hustle gigs that for over a decade, it was like the only way to pay your rent and your bills, you know, so. No, well, you're not the only one. I've talked to many people who have, uh, who have dealt, uh, dealt that life, you know, parking cars and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I still occasionally pick up the shift at Chippendales, uh, you know, just in case, cause you know, you can always use the cash from those private dances. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've never. I'm not a. I'm not a Chippendales dancer. <laughs> it's thunder, thunder from down under. Thunder from down under. 
Yeah, I mean, every time someone mentions Chippendales, I, I only I only think of that Chris Farley sketch. I cannot think yeah, of anything. That's, that's, that's the first thing. Classic, man. Yeah, classic. Um, uh, no, but but I mean, it's so weird because like a year ago, I've been listening to my old shows, and it's so surreal listening to people talk about like how how crazy the voiceover business is and how lucky they are to go to go into work with all wonderful people in studios and all this stuff and i'm like yeah. oh boy was that only a year ago <laughs> i know yeah i mean i've uh i've had a few gigs from home using uh, a software called ipdtl which is uh basically a, a newer version of isdn which is a, a way for you to patch into the studio so the studio can get a from your microphone so that they can record remotely so they they're actually getting the feed into their soundboards um and and i had a few group adr gigs uh since quarantine started where you're actually online and you've got a skype you know phone call uh or a zoom call and you're using ipd dtl and you can hear everybody and that's been really cool because it does feel like that sort of collaborative uh spirit again which is you know i think all of us are missing that right now um so yeah, I mean technology, you know, you think about where we are technologically. If that if if this COVID had hit the fan, uh, you know, 5 6 7 years ago, I mean, we'd be in such a different place and I think even more isolated, you know. So, uh, you know, thank God for FaceTime and Zoom and Skype and uh, you know, the chance to to at least see, you know, some of your friends and colleagues, you know. No, I mean I'm I'm thankful for you know technology in general. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten this show up to begin with. Because yeah. like you know, you know it it just it's so surreal. Like looking back at it, like because I've talked to so many people I grew up watching as a kid, and I'm like, wait a minute, I actually am talking to someone I grew up watching as a kid. I remember you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember the when I met Peter Cullen. I mean. I just I turned into a, a a mess of a man, uh, just because like you know I, I grew up very much like a a kid of the the eighties and nineties cartoons GI Joe Transformers, um, all of those and I mean Peter was he's such a gracious you know kind guy and it was you know it is it's surreal it's you know like I was saying when you're when when you're in a recording space with somebody like a Fred Tatashore. And you're like, you know, uh, you, you become a colleague and not just like a fan. It really is like a, a it's just an incredibly surreal and humbling moment. Um, so, yeah, it's a it is cool. It's very cool. Now, I mean, because because I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I grew up with, um, you know, Beast Wars. And let me tell you, when I got David Kay on this show, <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> like I, 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 I held back so much from fanboying, like yeah. when I got him on, cause he was my Megatron. He was the Megatron yeah. I grew up with. Yeah. And my God, <laughs> you know, that's funny. I, um, I remember I was coming back from New York several years ago and this is when that movie 300 came out, uh, and Gerard Butler was on the plane. And like it had literally just come out a few years or sorry, a few days before or something like that. And so he was in first class and I was walking through and I had just seen the movie and I love 300, uh, especially when it first came out. I felt like it was a moving painting. I mean, it was a gorgeous film. 
And uh, I was so I was in the airport and I'd had a couple beers uh, at the airport. Uh, and then when I got on the I got on the plane and I saw him and I, I, I fanboyed out for a second and I walked up to him and I said, you're a badass man. And what I, you know, that came out. What I meant to say was, you're a badass man. But it came out, you're a badass man. And he, he just looked at me and he was like, I'm a badass man, am I? It's like, I, you're, you're a badass man. And I just head straight back to coach, back to my seat. I just remember, you know, those little moments that you're like, I don't, I, you know. He's still such a fanboy from time to time. You know, oh just, no, dude, dude! I met. Yeah. I mean, I when I met Christopher Lloyd at, at like a comic con back in uh, 2016, I just went up to him and said, "I loved you in Food Fight," and he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> he never gets that. You know, he never. <laughs> I'm sure it's it's always Doc Brown for him. Yeah, you know? no, but but I mean, I'm like, cause cause that's me. Like, you know, when I meet people at conventions i want to make them laugh because if i don't make them laugh you know what's the point you know if i don't have like a positive experience talking to them about like a, a work that they've done that i really liked or if i'm if i'm not you know being friendly then what's the point yeah no agreed agreed i mean you know the human beings as well and uh you know it's it's a very it's got to be a very bizarre thing to uh, to get to that sort of level. I'm uh, personally, I'm not really on the con circuit. Um, you know, I sort of, uh, I what I did was try to allocate as much focus as I could on on projects that um, I knew would, as far from an economic standpoint, like sort of sustain. So I, you know, I tried to I tried to work on union paying residual paying jobs so that because um, I like my weekends, you know, and I love going to cons. That's always a, it's a blast. Um, but I don't know how some people do, you know, 30, 40 cons a year, uh, with all that travel, because you're also, you know, you're, if you're leaving on a Friday, you know, you're, you're working, you know, seven days a week, uh, you know, doing that, you don't have very little downtime, you know, and, um, especially now with the family, uh, you know, I, I definitely would love to do more cons, but, um, you know, not 42 a year, you know, <laughs> No, I mean, I'm still shocked that we, we even got, like, the con circuit going here, you know, back, back a couple of years ago, and I got to meet um, Nolan North and Fred Tatashore, you know, and, and they were yeah. just some of the nicest people I've ever talked to. Just awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Nolan and I had a long chat at Bing Zoom one time uh, during the video game, uh, the the interactive contract renegotiation, and he had a really interesting perspective. He's a, He's a incredibly sharp guy incredibly sharp and now he's like has his own like you know he's doing retro replay so that's pretty yeah. cool you know <laughs> yeah for sure yeah i mean and and that just goes to show you how much the bit the the world is changing like because a few years ago you would have been like oh i'm i'm not doing internet shows i'm above this or <laughs> whatnot but now it's like hey you know there's a market for this stuff oh yeah i mean definitely the you know the the necessity i i love being able to to meet people in person who you know like are fans of venom or uh you know another game or something like that that have that have done but you know it's it's um it's necessary now for the acting community uh to try to create their own content as much as possible um i've got uh several buddies who are you know writing producing their their own animation shows now 
uh, because there's just so many different platforms uh, for for it to be broadcast. Um, you know, I mean, you've got all this the this SVOD streaming video on demand content now. You know, and it's just uh, it's endless. You know, um, and it's it's obviously not this not nearly close to the amount of content that's available through different networks. You know, it's uh, and you can click and binge watch just about anything right now. So. Um, it's endless. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the beauty of the internet. Anyone can create their own content now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, I don't, I don't know that I'm. Uh, I wanted. I, I have a couple ideas for shows that I'd, I'd like to get pitched, but it's, um, you know, it, it's, it can be very difficult, um, if you don't have, you know, a body of work. If you're, if you've just been an actor. You know, it can be very, it can be very challenging sometimes to, uh, you know, to get those meetings to try to pitch something that, uh, you know, if you don't already have writing producing credits. Yeah, I know. It's like, hey, man, I got this cool idea. Now, nah, not interested. Uh, I mean, then someone else walks in and, and they pitch the exact same idea, and then they're like, Howard, you've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, that's because that's the thing I, I don't like about Hollywood. Like you know, it's just the the, the politics about about um you know who who gets to be on top spot and who just doesn't you know they don't they won't even look at your script because you're not you don't know anybody who who can get your leeway on that script. Yeah, you know, it's um I, when I first moved out here, I was I was doing a lot of on camera stuff, and um I, it was it was just exhausting. It becomes this thing where you know, you, you, you do all this prep work and you try to, you know, you try to do everything you can to, to get private coaching and really prepare for the role. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, the politics of, uh, you know, who your agent is and what your most recent credit is and all of that kind of stuff, uh, greatly outweighs whether or not you've, you've done the work and you're prepared for the role, you know? And, um, uh, that was one of the big part of the reasons why I decided to stop doing on camera stuff and just focus uh, on on voiceover because there's still an element of that to a certain extent, but not nearly the same uh, as the on camera world. You know, you are uh, you are bringing to life a character just utilizing your your voice alone, uh, and it cuts out a lot of the um, you know a lot of the issues with on camera. Um, you know, I get to play characters that I normally would never play if I, if it was on camera. So it's a, uh, you know, it's it's a totally different world. I'll never forget. It was that I I knew the moment that I was going to stop doing on camera. I had this big audition for uh, a major supporting role in a Samuel L. Jackson movie, and it, and I was playing this um, this sort of like meth head character, and so I took two days off of my my restaurant job, uh, and I hired a, a private coach and. You know, to really sort of like get into the mentality of somebody who's who's a, like tweaking, like a meth head. Um, and so, you know, I was like looking at, uh, you know, video clips or whatever I could find and reading up about, you know, the physical ramifications of uh, being on meth for two days and then not being on meth for like two days uh, and what that means. And so I, when I went into the office, I mean, I felt I felt prepared. I was I was ready. I was off book, you know. And I was I was nervous because it was a big role in a Samuel L. Jackson movie. Well, when I went in, the the casting director was eating a BLT, and like barely even looked up during my read. And uh, 
took a phone call in the middle of my audition and asked me to step outside because she needed to take the call and we would stop start at the beginning of the scene and I was like okay yeah no problem so I walked out into the hallway and she, I could hear her talking to a big agent uh, about a celebrity for the same role that I was actually reading for at that time and I knew I was like oh this has nothing to do with whether or not I'm the right actor for this role it's very much about uh, you know, getting somebody that, uh, that is a star name and there's, you know, there's nothing that you can necessarily do about it. But in that moment, it was just sort of like, I just don't, I, I don't have any interest in, in this anymore. I'm not, I'm not a star name. I'm not a celebrity. Uh, and this is going to be, you know, another 10 years of, of fighting the good fight to hopefully get to a point where I can, you know, make a living just as an actor. And so that was when it was like, okay, I need to, I need to change something up here, you know? So, I knew in that moment. And then you went on to do Dark Dreams Don't Die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and who, I mean, I, I don't know anyone that hasn't played that. I, I remember the first time I played that, like, on the Xbox, and I'm like, Swery, I know you're a weird guy, and I know you you have an affinity for David Lynch and Twin Peaks, but this is weird even for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I I had a blast playing that. I, I there was playing David Young was it was rad, man. I mean, it was uh, my first true lead in a video game, and um, I knew th I knew Swery's reputation, and uh, you know I could tell that he had such a passion for Boston, like he. That was such a, you know, Boston was one of the characters in the, in the game, really. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and it was funny because, you know, Swery, we were in, we would be in it and he would say, I need more, um, more Boston. I was like, uh, like, I just said clam chowder. Like how much more uh, you, at a very, very slow clam chowder pace. And he was like, no, I need it more, even more Boston. So you know uh that that aspect of the character was really was really interesting but i knew stylistically that this was going to be different than anything i'd ever done before and i you know you don't see many noir style games like that uh that uh, are just you know wonderfully bizarre you know i mean it's it's to give you an example of how weird this game is you you get there's an entire section on the plane where Liam O'Brien shows up and quizzes you on airplane trivia. And it has <laughs> nothing to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I knew when we were in the record, I was like, oh, this is... You know what? It's like, it's just so weird that it's 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 almost... Uh, I don't know. It was cool. I, I thought that it was just so bizarre that it was like, this has got to, this has got to have a huge uh very obscure fan base that's gonna just love this game you know i'm I'm just sad that they didn't release it on pc earlier because if they had released it on pc earlier it would have gathered a much bigger fan base but because it was on like a, an xbox ex exclusive it kind of like hurt it and it wasn't until yeah. when they released it on pc did it did it finally gather a cult following a cult yeah. following but the problem is Sorry, had already left uh, uh, that studio at that time, so that sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, I know. Um, 
you know, I think he has a, several other things in the pipeline right now. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if he does like a, you know, uh, I don't know, another version of that game or something else. But, you know, and, th- and those games, those types of games are so significantly different than like a, a like a Skylanders, you know, or um, I did a few I did a few sessions on Death Stranding and, um, you know, Final Fantasy seven. Just the remake just came out. I just finished that. Um, you know, and though those types of releases are just so incredibly different than the, these uh, independent style games, um, you know, because there's so many more chiefs in the tribe who are weighing in on, you know, what's going to sell, what, what's going to work, you know, um, so many more people who are involved in the narrative, uh, you know. So yeah, you know, every game is different, and I, I, you know, I love, I love Dark Dreams Don't Die. I think it's, uh, I think it's wonderfully unique, you know. And and I mean yeah, because I mean I know it's 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 such a weird game because it's like I, I can't even explain it. You have to play it yourself because I I cannot explain it. Yeah, yeah. Clam chowder. Clam chowder. <laughs> There's this, like tall black doctor who speaks really really slow. Yeah. Yeah, well then, and then of course there's the uh, the uh, cat girl roommate um, that David has, uh, which was really interesting. <laughs> she believes she's a cat. She actually believes she's a cat. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's fun. It's all fun. <laughs> I mean, because when I found out, like, because when I was looking at your behind the voice actors things and, and I remembered, like, you were David, I'm like, oh, my God, now I cannot stop picturing Venom with the David with the Boston accent. <laughs> oh, they hated it, man. They hated the Boston accent. And, you know, uh, I should each – I don't know. I just should not read – reviews uh of the stuff after it comes out because every bostonian that played the game was like that's not what we sound like you know it's like uh so i get it i totally get it but you know again man you know the the fascinating thing about this profession that we've picked um you know as actors especially voice actors is that you know they're so much of this stuff is out of our control. You know, what we, what we do is bring our interpretation of the material as best that we can, you know, and it's very much collaborative, uh, you know, but it's, it's still your interpretation, um, of it. And you never know what is going to end up, you know, totally tanking and you never know what's going to end up becoming like this, you know, uh, cult favorite or some huge hit, you know, um, I think that what we do as actors is, uh, you know, just bring, uh, you know, the best of ourselves to each individual project and, and hope that, uh, hope that it, you know, it takes well with the audience. You know, I, I, I got into all of this because I wanted to, you know, you want to inspire through storytelling in some capacity, you know, you never know what's going to really hit and what's not, but, um, you know, I, uh, you know, whether it's dark dreams don't die or, or my little contribution to a show like Bob's Burgers, you know, which has been so fun over the years, uh, getting to do group ADR on a show like that. That's just, I mean, so funny. I think Bob's Burgers is one of the funniest shows on TV right now. And I'm not just saying that because of I've done <laughs> some, uh, some, you know, additional voice stuff on it. Uh, you know, but it's so cool because it's like, Oh man, I, I get, I get to go to work on Bob's Burgers today. 
you know, or, you know, like I'm a, the uh, I've been doing all the zombies for the for the Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead for the last uh, several seasons, which, you know, when you when you pull up onto the Warner Brothers lot to go to work that day and you're going to go do some zombies for, you know, uh, one of the biggest shows uh, in the world. It's like this is so cool. Like it really is a, a, a pinch me kind of moment, uh, you know, every time that you drive onto the lot for something like that. And you were in like you did ADR for like all the Marvel stuff as well, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to do um, the Avengers movies and uh, Captain America. Yeah, that's that's been a, a total blast. Um, you know, uh, and it and it's so different. It's a completely different type of voiceover work. Um, the group ADR because it's. <clears throat> it's kind of like the perfect marriage of voiceover and improv. Uh, so you're on a big soundstage with other actors. You know, they preview a scene uh, that takes place, like, for example, in a hospital or, uh, you know, a police station or something like that. And they have, like, specific actors on the screen who are not necessarily the principal actors. But, um, you know, when they go in and they shoot those scenes, those people who are in this in these different settings are not actually saying anything because it would drown out the principal's dialogue. So we have to go in as, as ADR actors and authentically sort of um, accentuate whatever the act, the action is on the scene. So, you know, we fill in the doctors and the nurses and the, uh, you know, <clears throat> the cops at the police station or the firefighters or, um, you know, all of those. Sometimes we have to revoice uh, a character that may have a couple of lines or something like that, that the audio quality wasn't great. So we have to go in and replace the dialogue for that, you know, or if there's like a PA, you know, uh, at the hospital, you know, Dr. Sherman dial 221, Dr. Sherman dial 221, you know, stuff like that, that you don't think about when you're actually watching the movie, but, um, you know, it sort of peppers in the scene and it just essentially accentuates the action that you're seeing. Um, so, you know, yeah, when people are running through the city streets of New York, um, away from Thanos's army, uh, you know, uh, that's us. We go in and we fill in all of those voices and, uh, it's a, it's a blast, especially because you get to work on movies like Avengers Endgame, you know? Hey, it's like, yeah, I worked on that. <laughs> really? Which part? I was the guy screaming in, in the yeah. background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's cool. It's cool because it, there's, you know, it's not as obviously that type of work is not necessarily as as uh, glamorous or romanticized because you're not playing a character like Venom, uh, you know, or something like that. But I, I got to say, it, it's one of my it's one of my favorites because you're getting to collaborate with other people. You know, you're on the stage. It's not just you and the microphone. Um, and I like the idea of sort of. Um, you kind of have to be like jack of all trades. Like you have research there in front of you, but um, you've got to really sort of understand what's required in the scene and sort of riff authentically, you know? So for example, the terminology uh, between an ATF agent and an FBI agent is very different. Um, so if, you know, if you're, if you're in a scene where there's all ATF agents, that sort of very technical terminology is going to be a, a little bit different. And you need to know that, you know, you've got to know the, 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 you know, subtlety and difference between those. And you've got your research there in front of you so you can grab specific terms, but it's cool because you're bouncing stuff off of other actors and, 
you know, um, you know, really placing yourself in the scene. So I love it. FBI agents don't say whiskey from Foxtrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's, uh, you know, they, <laughs> all of that, um, all of that is, uh, yeah, there's, there's very specific terminology for, for each of those like branches of the military or, you know, um, yeah. Um, I like it because you get to wear a lot of different hats. Uh, well, I mean, with that, I'm here, unfortunately reached our time limit. So yeah. <laughs> if you want to, uh, plug your social media where people can find you and bother you about not being as good as the previous Venom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah please do hit me up at ben pronsky it's b-e-n-p-r-o-n-s-k-y yeah please do hit me up and tell me how how much worse my interpretation of venom has been ben diskins i'd love that <laughs> <laughs> now thank you so much for taking the time up to do this man this was a great yeah, great episode yeah it's good to chat with you i appreciate it and once again if you want to come back on anytime anytime man i'm always open <laughs> Sounds good. We've got a little bit of downtime right now. Yeah, with this whole quarantine. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Abdul. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Uh, talk to you soon.